You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. Hello, welcome back to Parenting Our Future. It's Robin McMahon here, and I have a really, really special guest. Uh, Dr. James Lewis is with me today, and he is uh, a pediatrician, has been a pediatrician for 40 years. Uh, he's also the professor of pediatrics at John C. Edwards School of Medicine at Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia, and is board certified in both pediatrics and also the subspecialty of neurodevelopment disabilities. And he has had that special for 15 years as part of his 40-year practice as a pediatrician. And this is a subject that is close to his heart as he is the father of six children with his wife, Libby, um, and they they all now have careers in either medicine or teaching, but two of his boys had ADHD uh, and associated educational and behavioral issues. And so this is really close to your heart, something that you have dealt with before, and uh, and you have you have written a book all about ADHD, and and what you're doing today is slightly to the side of that. With me is talking about COVID nineteen, talking about um, what this new disease means for parents, for for children, um, and we're going to talk about a couple of different things related to it. But first, let's just start with the COVID nineteen fear uh, and how it's affecting children. The the disease it is, how it's affecting children, and this new emerging Kawasaki disease that we're hearing about. So. If you don't mind telling us about that, that'd be great. That sounds good. So COVID-19 is another viral infection. Um, in some ways, uh, there's good news for us in pediatrics because most of the viral illnesses that we see uh, affect kids more severely than adults, particularly influenza. Influenza is a serious disorder in people uh, that are above 65 and kids less than one. So we're, we were happy at first that COVID didn't seem to be as, as bad. There is an issue that's highly contagious. So the problem is kids as vectors taking it home and spreading it to the grandparents and everything else. So it's highly contagious, which is the biggest issue where we're having so many problems with it. And obviously a bad disease for adults. Now, we're not clear about why some adults have so much problems either. So we're still trying to sort this together because it's brand new. Uh, most of the time, the only problem this is a bad disease is in kids again, less than one years old or kids that may have underlying disorders, kids with asthma, immune deficiency, other kinds of problems. So that's an issue for those. Recently, actually, this is, a, this is brand new information, so we're just trying to understand it. There were eight cases described in Britain, about 10 cases in Italy, just published this month. So early in this month, May 2nd, uh, some of the experts in these areas got together to Boston to talk about this, because now there's been 10 cases in New York City, and maybe 100 other cases that they're looking at. So we're trying to understand this and even know the name of it. Some people call it pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Some are calling it multi-system inflammatory syndrome of children. So you see different names for it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't appear to be Kawasaki. Kawasaki is probably another disorder, but they're all related to inflammation. We don't really understand Kawasaki that well either. I did some of my training in Pittsburgh and Dr. Kawasaki himself came and we asked him the question of what do you think causes Kawasaki? And we waited and he said very quietly, I have no idea. 
still trying to understand this. But what happens is, and we don't understand why it's coming later, uh, these are things that we're seeing after the infection is over. So it seems to be perhaps related to the inflammatory system overdoing it. Uh, inflammation is a good thing. It's what fights infection, but sometimes you overdo it. We're not sure why. This is usually a vasculitis, which means it's inflammation in the blood, in, in the, in the, in the blood vessels themselves, which is why it's multi-system. So there's inflammation in the brain, inflammation in the heart, inflammation in the kidneys, sometimes on the skin, sometimes yeah. the GI tract. So it's a complicated, complicated disorder, and we're not sure why. So they're studying it. Again, it's rare, and again, most kids get better, but they're pretty sick when they have it. So it's a bad disease when they have it, but it's rare. Okay, so the, the highlight that you just said is it's not Kawasaki disease. It's something that could be similar to it. You don't know why it's happening after the virus has really just exploded and then, and then gone through, uh, and it's multi-system. So we're seeing skin rashes. I think you see it in the eyes as well. You see GI tract, like you said, heart, uh, uh, lungs as well. Uh, the biggest concern about Kawasaki, and why Kawasaki is a little bit easier to see is because as you say, there's usually conjunctivitis, and the biggest problem is afterwards they can have uh, vasculitis in the coronary arteries, which is why they can have heart problems later on. Oh, wow. But again, it's not clear because that's something that occurs later on, but this seems to be a different disorder than Kawasaki. Now, it's only been yesterday that the CDC came up with guidelines for making the diagnosis, so we're still trying okay. to sort this out and understand why it is. But what, what the criteria is usually fever, not always high fever, but for parents, if the kids have a fever greater than even 24 hours, it needs to be looked at. And then it usually can be um, almost any other kind of symptoms. Uh, sometimes it's uh, GI sort of symptoms. Uh, uh, they may have abdominal pain and vomiting and diarrhea. That seems to be the most common presentation early on. Uh, they can have a skin rash with it. Another kind of, kind of it can vary in, in appearance sometimes trouble breathing, or if because of the brain issues, they can be confused or overly sleepy. So for parents, they need to be, there's also usually an exposure to the COVID-19, okay? And mm. we document that in the hospital to prove that they actually had it. We're not sure that this is caused by it. There's an association, so we still don't know if it's caused, but we're seeing it related to it. And all these kids have evidence of being infected with COVID-19. In the hospital, we're able to do specific tests that measure inflammation. It's SED rate, C-reactive protein, fibrinogen tests that we call acute phase reactants. And they usually have a high white cell count. So all these measures of inflammation. But again, it's rare, most kids get better. But for parents that are concerned about it, you should check it with your pediatrician. Uh, if there's a fever, a fever that lasts more than 24 hours, abdominal pain, vomiting, diarrhea, a rash would be important. And then, you know, the things about not themselves or that kind of a thing. Again, it's extraordinarily rare. That's important to understand. Most kids get over it. But it is a severe illness that usually winds them up in the ICU. Okay. Okay. So if they do get it, it's serious, but it's rare and they do seem to be surviving, right? right. So this is, this is to really just 
let people, um, although you don't never want your child to be sick, but just to, to just sort of get the right information, get the facts so that we can just not be in panic mode. And look, I was watching the news last night and I was watching it for a couple of hours and it was the headline for most of, you know, for the, for the couple of, um, you know, repeat cycles that I was watching. And, um, you know, that creates a lot of fear and, uh, and I'm seeing that, you know, I posted uh, a couple of, you know, I posted a, uh, something on, on a couple of my groups to say, hey, you know, what are your questions? And, and that's what most of them were, the fear of it. How do we keep clean? How do I feel safe putting my child back in school or back in daycare? Or I run a daycare, how do I keep it clean? I mean, do you know what the guidelines are going to be? Or do you have any uh, suggestions for you know, making sure kids stay safe, or even if you are someone who has a daycare, is a teacher, how to make sure, you know, the kids in your care are safe. Well, one thing I want to just reassure everybody about, because sometimes they get lost in the, in, in the political side of this, but yeah. we have the best experts in the world studying this. And there's these, these experts from Boston, and they're, they're collaborating nationwide and, and, and on the globe looking at these things. So I want to really reassure people that, you know, you have the best doctors that are really going to look into this. Um, as far as what's happening for us right now, and this is, again, the answer is going to be what we see in the future as we look at what happens as we test and as we reopen things. There's another reopening. The school is reopening. What does that mean? How are we going to do that? Reopening, coming back to the pediatrician's office. So this is another issue for us, and we've been working with this here, um, and we've been seeing mostly um, sick patients in one location and well patients in the other. We're being very careful with masks and making sure we clean everything very carefully. We're having patients uh, stay in their car and not come in the waiting room at all and in and out back and forth. Um, and we're opening that up now even more because we're seeing the numbers plateauing. Now, each state, each county where we are is going to look at this to see if these numbers go up, up again because then we're going to have to look carefully at that. And the same things we'll have to look at when we restart school. So all these precautions will be there, you know, to make sure that we're doing everything we can to mm -hmm. prevent the infection, prevent the spread, and, and it's testing and contact and all the other things that we have to do. So, so and I think the thing for pediatricians who are very concerned in the last couple of months, we've seen the vaccination rates really drop. So this means that there's going to be an increased possibility in the future if we're not getting the vaccines for the diseases that we see, particularly measles and mumps and those. So we're really reassuring patients to say, you can come back. We're going to be able to see these kids. We're going to make sure that there's not a problem. But particularly the younger kids are going to need their regular checkups so that we can monitor their growth and their height and weight, uh, do their physical exams, make sure they get their vision, hearing screenings, and even getting back to sports physicals, because that's going to be an important thing for us at this point. So we really want to reassure people that we're doing the best we can with this. And it looks like, you know, we'll have to see. It's going to be really important to look at this um, when we start back and even when we start back at school. And even school is going to be different. They're going to have to really look at this and do they do phased reopenings and then watch what happens. Mm -hmm. Will they separate classes? So it's going to be, it's going to be something we're going to have to take uh, really the best medical advice we can. I'd be very concerned about when, the medical experts are not allowed to talk or say what they know because this isn't a political problem. It's a medical problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so what I hear you saying is, look, there's going to be a lot of guidelines. There's going to be rules about how we move forward in this and, 
and 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 look I, I know what parents do as one myself that you want to kind of have it all organized ahead of time so that you can plan ahead of time but that's actually not the reality we can't yet because we just don't know right so what you're saying is look the the in instructions will come and we will be as thoughtful and um and safe as possible right before these kids go back to school right that's why the testing is going to be so important because if we see an uptick in any way, we're going to have to go back and recalculate things because that's the biggest issue. But, you know, we have the best minds thinking about these things, very careful to watch all these things. And I think individual states, individual counties are being careful, the school boards, the physicians. So we have to all work together on this because that's another source of distress. And that's the stress that we're looking at, not just the medical part, but the emotional part of this and what's going to happen that way as well. Yeah, and that's that's a really that's a really big part of this whole thing because of course returning to school is definitely an emotional uh, an emotional process. But I want to I want to go back for one second because what I heard you also say is that because of the closures uh, of doctor's office, pediatrician's office. I mean, we saw our pedi pediatrician over Zoom uh, for for our son. So. Um, but what you're seeing is neglect for regular care as well, right? People aren't going to the doctors when they should. People aren't getting their vaccinations if, right, they're off schedule. You're, you're, they're not tracking their growth and maybe even checking some things, some symptoms that might be a bigger problem because they're afraid to go anywhere or do anything. Right. So we want to reassure people that we can get back to that and we'll do everything we can to prevent those kinds of issues. But the offices are set up to decrease exposure and to mitigate all those kinds of issues, wearing the mask and everything else very carefully. So we'll, we'll make sure that they get the care that they need. That's great. And that's really like, I really want our listeners, my listeners to hear that, that it's going to be okay. And uh, Dr. Lewis, I'm Canadian. So I live in Canada. And I can say that, you know, it's the same here. It's the same things are going on here. We're talking about reopening school, each province is different. And, uh, you know, it, there, there's some options to whether or not you want to send your child back to school or not. And, and it's confusing here too. So I am a confused parent, uh, and a worried parent you know, in some cases. So that brings us to that emotional piece that you're talking about and how, you know, let, let's talk about the emotions that come with this whole thing uh, and, and how that, you know, how that is hard on parents and kids. Well, one thing I've been doing is because of, because my practice is mostly kids with ADHD and autism, mm -hmm. that it's better, it's easy for me to do the Zoom. So it's helpful uh, because I can actually, I don't have to examine them now. I do have to check blood pressure and pulse height and weight, so we'll, we'll catch up to that. Um, but it's a real opportunity to actually see my patients and talk to them. Um, there's a thing about Zoom, they talk about Zoom fatigue because it isn't exactly the same. You're not actually seeing the patient. With kids, it's hard to get them because they're distracted and you know you can't, you can't do that sometimes. But I always talk to the kids first. It just works best for ADHD, and the parents know I'm going to do that because the parents have things to tell me too. But I want to find out how they're doing, what school like, is the medicine affecting working for school, are you getting through things, uh, how the parents do it. One thing that this is a real opportunity for parents with kids with ADHD and like is that they can actually see how the medicine works because they're there to watch them all day. So they yeah. can tell me where's off at noon, this kind of stuff. So that helps me a lot. Um, and then I sort of ask the kids about how they're doing and ask the parents about the stress and those things too. So. So the stress for kids, and the other aspect that I wanted to sort of touch on, we sort of talked about the medical issues related to this, but now 
it's more the emotional than mental health aspects of it and the concerns that you expressed a little bit too because this is stressful for everyone. So when I talk to parents, I ask them how they're doing because my best chance to get the kids better is the parents. So it's important to look at that. And so what I've been doing is talking about a couple of things to kind of avoid the stress um, of the kids taken out of their system. All kids, particularly ADHD kids, do better with the schedule. So when they're off schedule, mm. it really makes them more anxious, okay? And they're going to respond to the parent's anxiety because it's a part of their story. The parent is there, and they're usually not there, or the parent's working different hours. The parent's stressed as well because of their concerns about getting the infection. The parents are stressed because of jobs and financial, uh, grandparents, uh, you know, all these issues that we have to face. They're particularly stressed because teaching at home is difficult, yeah. and it's very hard to do, and particularly <laughs> when you're stressed as well. So the kids are going to get behind no matter what we do. That's just going to be the fact. And what we're going to have to do is next year when school starts, look at everybody like that. And so we're going to have to be ready for the phase reopening, how they do school. And after that first marking period, then we need to get together and talk about what's happening, what's not happening, because then we at least have to see where they are. We know that over the summer, kids will drop behind one to three months in their learning okay, because they're not doing it. These kids are going to be behind nine to 12 months in their learning. So we're really going to have to make up some stuff when they get back to school. But in talking about the stress, what I've been telling parents is a couple of things. And I say, everybody is stressed. There's no question. There's going to be stress. So we have to deal with it. And the first thing is that you're going to have to explain it to your kids that you are stressed. Because if it's not talked about, they know you're stressed. It isn't news to them, okay? but they're going to respond to that. So a couple of ideas that I had. I'm going to tell them parents, first of all, it's important to keep a schedule because kids do better with the routine. And it's difficult to keep a schedule because of stress and because our hours are changing. We're worried. It's hard to sleep. We sleep late. Mm. I'm telling all these parents, you got to get them up at the same time. That's the one thing that's really important, okay, is to maintain that schedule because if they're getting up at all different times, of the day, who knows what time they should go to bed. You can never get them back on schedule. So yeah. You can't make them go to sleep, but you can get them up. It doesn't have to be 7.30. Pick a time and stay with it, okay? If you pick that time, then the meals will make more sense too. Get up the same time, have breakfast. Then you can work out the rest of it, okay? I think the other thing I'm trying to tell parents is that one of the things that we've learned, there's an, there was a study recently done about the, the kids in China and asking them, with surveys, depression, anxiety. They found in the kids that had gone through this that about 20 to 25% of them were anxious or depressed. But the question they asked was, um, were you optimistic about this, okay? Or uh, were you anxious about getting infected? The kids that said, I'm optimistic this is gonna get better and I'm not that afraid of infection had less anxiety and depression. So one thing parents need to be reassuring kids is, that this is going to get over, okay? That your chance of getting it is pretty low. We need to we need to present that optimistic side. It's this side of is the glass full or empty. So it's really important to prevent this. This is documented from the research, okay? That if you try to keep them optimistic and reassure them, okay, that the chances of them getting infected is low, and the rest of the family too, because it really is low, really, really speaking. And there's a vaccine coming. There's medication for this, okay? So. It kind of accentuates the positive. Mm. The other thing I would suggest is that in your routine, part of that routine should be some time that you spend with the child. Okay, now if you get different kids together is fine, 
but you need a time period, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is, where you're just there with that child. It doesn't matter what you do. It can be the stupid video games. I mean, it doesn't matter, but it should be time that you are there for them and nothing else, okay? That's a time that you can reassure things and enjoy it. And it should be something they like to do, not spending hours trying to do the homework and making each other crazy. So have that positive time, okay? So you can do that. That positive time should be a time, too, where you can say, everybody's worried. This is a tough time. You know how it is for us. So people have feelings. We're going to get through this. I know you worry sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you need to help them understand their feelings, okay? So you can explain how you're feeling, why everybody's upset, but then the positive side of it, okay? And there should be some physical contact through this as well, even with teenagers, okay? Mm -hmm. Because because that's important to be reassured too. If you remember when you were a child and you lost your parent in the grocery store or you looked up to your dad and saw somebody else's hand, I mean, that's terror. I mean, that, that throws you off, okay? So they need to be reassured about that. And I think the other thing is that um, <clears throat> um, the parents need to take care of themselves, okay? Because their child's mental health depends on them. So make sure that they have a schedule, get rest, and talk to somebody. You need support during this time, okay? That's the one thing about Zoom and phone calls and staying in touch. My family, my wife's a good cook, and she's decided, and the kids have decided, that she's going to teach them how to make chicken and dumplings, how to make pizza spaghetti. So I got all six of them. Some are in Florida, some are in New York, Rochester, and here, and everybody's making things and putting it together. It's just been a lot of fun. I don't know yeah. if the food's coming out good, but at least it's a positive thing to do because um, my wife has a lot of respiratory problems, and we're trying to kind of keep her out of that. Yeah. I would say as well that there are also, although sometimes it's hard to actually see a mental health person, some are doing Zoom, but I say as well that there are a lot of important self-help books, workbooks. If you look on Amazon and those kinds of things, they've got things about anxiety, depression, which are it's cognitive behavioral therapy where people can learn to sort of help themselves. So don't forget that resource as well, but keep a schedule, spend some time with them, reassure them, okay, share your feelings about the concerns that we have and the optimistic part that we're going to get through this. And that let's, let's not worry too much about the multi-system thing because I think, you know, who knows, but uh, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be too big of a problem because we're not seeing a lot of it more in China and Italy, which are ahead of us. And we said eight cases, 10 cases. So more, more for us because of more cases, but manageable. So I think it's important to kind of share that information with everybody. Right. And, and knowing the facts is what gives us the power, right? So, so let's just listen to the reality. And that is that it isn't, you know, sweeping the countries that, you know, like China, like Italy, we have very, very small amount of cases. It's a concern, but it's a wait and see, right? We don't know enough yet. So don't, don't start freaking out in other words. And, and then your tips are, you know, having a schedule, getting them up on time, being optimistic and say, look, this too shall pass. Um, And I think it's also, it's also important to remind them that we're staying inside, not because we're scared, but because this is our job to let um, it, to make it so that the virus doesn't, um, you know, doesn't explode, right? That we're just doing our part to, like we say, flatten the curve and curve and, and, you know, kids, may not understand that, but we're just doing this to, to make sure we don't overwhelm the system, right? And, um, and then you said also, like, spend time with your kids, quality time with your kids. So, like, put your phone away, all the distractions, like, be with your kids. And it doesn't have to be, like, you sitting there looking at each other or whatever, but, like, do something fun with them. Um, but make sure you're connecting with them every day, right? And, 
Um, play is also a really good way to find out what your child is thinking and, and what they're going through. If you've got little kids and you're not sure exactly what's going on with them, you can play. You can, you know, play a house. You can play doctor or doctor's visit or whatever. I mean, you can do different things to, um, to find out what's going on with them and get them talking too. Um, and then you said, and I think this is above all else, is to have parents take care of themselves. And uh, maybe you use this as a time to get yourself some self-help books or work on yourself. I mean, I fully, I fully love that uh, idea as well. But we've got to take care of ourselves, even if it's 10 minutes where you just go and you can sit in a chair and have a cup of tea and some quiet. Like, we've got to do that. Uh, and reaching out to others. We should be reaching out to others anyway to get help, to talk to, because we, we need that connection. But what you're saying, too, is that, like, as part of our mental health routine, we also need to do that as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and we've we've been spending some time social distancing with our friends, but you know, kind of hanging out too uh, on the you know on our driveways or or whatever. So, um, and it's been great. It's been really good. I like your point about I think that um, the idea about turning this into a positive thing and saying although we're staying home, it's so that other people don't get this. Okay, and tell friends this is an opportunity for you or Medici patients to see how the medicine works, but also see how these kids learn best. Okay, how do they? Do they like the internet? Are they more interested in the biology aspect? Is it a more hands-on kind of thing? I mean, how can we see how the kid learns best so we can talk to the next year's teacher and share that information with them? And I, I would say again, make sure <laughs> make sure the time, you know, one of the things about positive things with kids is something they would like to hang around. You say, look, I'm still gonna be here. But, and I think the other thing is we always, we always have our agenda, what we think they should do or what they should learn, okay? So this, <laughs> not to say quality time, just whatever they're doing. Uh, and because, and then there can be specific times during the day that are important times. You think about bedtime when they're taking their bath, sometimes like this, you're reading a book, they're talking. So, you know, whenever your child communicates, obviously some communicate better than others, but, you know, you know your kids best and, and you understand their moods. But if they can talk about it and in any way that they do, and sometimes uh, the funny thing I've been noticing, I'm doing all these talks and with, with patients. And it's always funny when the dog barks and the cat walks by. But the mom <laughs> told me, this is his comfort animal. She's helping him so much and everything. And I think, you know, sometimes we forget about that part of it, too. But uh, I would look for those times and because the kids will look forward to that as well. And this can be important even after this is over, you know, that there's going to be some changes for us. And maybe there, you know, hopefully some positive things come from this in ways so we can be better parents using this time. Because it is a special time. It's an opportunity. It is an opportunity, absolutely. And, uh, and, and parents, you know, uh, here, here's what I've seen, though, um, Dr. Lewis, and I don't know, I don't know if you've seen this, you know, there's also those parents out there that are taking this time and they want it to be perfect. They want this to be, you know, this perfect moment of of connection and homeschooling and all this and they're frustrated and they're mad and then they feel bad about it they beat themselves up school isn't going the way they want they want to just like forget this ever happened and and I always say you know look and, and I'm curious to see what you say what I've said is look 
this is not a time to be perfect. This is a time where we want to do our best and let go of anything that isn't working out. We didn't plan for this. There's no way to know how we could feel about this or how long this would go. This is just something that we are in survival mode and, and to, to expect that people are going to thrive at home with all the pressures we have going on, you know, worrying about your, your, your loved ones, grandparents and so on, worrying about you getting the virus, like you said, worrying about your children getting the virus, you know, worrying about uh, lack of work, uh, lack of income, homeschooling, all those things. It is a pressure cooker. And so go easy on yourself. Absolutely. I think, you know, um, so you're balancing structure and flexibility, you know, and I think that a lot of times when there's a tough situation, I'll tell parents, let's just take a step back and sort of let this sort out a little bit, kind of a cooling off period. And I think it's important to say that too. I had a, I, I read a thing was an Italian and said, when there's problems, I didn't, I had to look at it a couple of times because it was spelled like C-U-Z-Z-A and then D-A and then Rona. It was like because of the Rona. So it's like because of the Corona. Oh. So what I just say now is because of the Rona. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, okay. I have one more question for you and then we're going to go to break. Um, what do you say to the parents that are struggling with the homeschooling? What do you say to them, whether they have a child with ADHD or other, other learning disabilities, or they have a typical child who's just struggling? What do you say to them about the pressure that they're feeling to keep the schooling up at the level that they would if they were in school? Again, I think, you know, that, they're, that kids have different learning styles. And there's also different teaching styles. And sometimes there's, sometimes they're not very compatible. Um, and so we know, particularly ADHD kids, a lot of them have ADHD adults. So a lot of ADHD adults have trouble with their impulsivity and with their patience and things too. So it's not the best combination. Uh, sometimes one parent is better at math and the other is better at the reading. Some parents have a more of a general approach. Moms where dads are more strict. It depends on the setting. Sometimes they can share that information. But I think it goes back to saying, you know, everybody knows that you'd have to be an expert to know that this is not the optimal way for kids to learn. And it's just what it is. And so I'd say, when we get into fall next year, we're going to reevaluate these things, take a look at things, kind of make up. Everybody's going to be in the same boat. But it's going to be important for parents to say, I learned some lessons during homeschooling that I can tell you what doesn't work, okay? And I really want to get back together with it with that first marking period and to see what you're seeing and how we can catch up on things. And maybe there's more testing to be done. Maybe there's different things to happen. But I think there's also the opportunity for the kids to find out how they learn best. I mean, particularly older kids say, you know, this is not how I want to do this. This doesn't work for me. I don't like the Zoom. I like so, so I think understanding how you learn best is another opportunity for us to look at. So how can the kids think through that too? But yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just not the optimal way to learn. And it's just going to be how it is. Yeah. So what you're saying is, uh, um, you know, see what you can notice about the way your child learns. What can you take in during this? And I'll tell you what, we've learned a lot. We have learned a lot. And we've also learned how much of a struggle it is for my son to really sit down and listen and really be able to take it in. It's really, really hard for him with his ADHD and, and other and other learning disabilities. So, um, so yeah, I, I hear that. And, and, and also what you're saying is, and I'm going to put words in your mouth, so tell me if this is wrong. But what, what I heard you say is, um, 
you know, it's going to be evaluated anyway. People are going to be in the same boat. It's not going to be until the first marking cycle. So if you are really struggling, go easy on yourself because there's going to be a reevaluation anyway. Everybody's going to be behind. And, and so, if, you, if you can be an important person of the uh, important uh, resource to the teachers, you know, next October, November to say what we can do, you know, we'll learn a lot. Uh, just another quick point is that I have, you know, I have a lot of patients on the medication. One mom's saying, you know, he's pretty good, but he's not paying attention. I said, yeah, but when does it happen? You know, it doesn't happen until noon when this medicine wears off. And then when I give him the 4 p.m. dose, he's okay. So I said, well, look, let's why give him that 4 p.m. dose at noon. And so I think it's another opportunity, if you are taking medication, to really see the effect and, and how long it lasts, side effects, mm -hmm. all that. So, so that was an, an easier point because that was the frustration afternoon. It just didn't work. So another point about the learning is, look, what, what the timing is. How does it work best for you? When can you do it? When shouldn't you do it? That kind of stuff. So, so again, you have more flexibility with this homeschooling aspect of when you do it and how you do it. Yeah, that's a really good point for those who, who have medication. Absolutely. That's a really good point because you can't always get them to take it at noon or whenever they, they need to at school, right? So that's, that's really great. You're currently listening to Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that by the age of six, many girls believe that they're less smart than boys? And only 19% of children's books showcase women with jobs or career ambition? As a parent, are you looking for stories to inspire your little girl to pursue her dreams without limits? Well, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls podcast is an expansion of its best-selling book, which tells hundreds of bedtime stories about the lives of extraordinary women from the past and the present. Designed to close the confidence gap in young girls, these stories explore the talent and results of incredible women across every possible field from astronauts, chefs, trombonists, judges, scientists, and tennis players. From Jane Goodall to Simone Biles. So to inspire the rebel girl in your life, go and find Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls on your favorite podcast player. Now, back to the show. All right, so I have some questions for you from some of uh, some of the people in my community, and uh, you know, one is, you know, what do I do with my toddler who's going to be going back to daycare and puts everything in his mouth? What do I do? <laughs> well, that's a toddler for you. I don't know. You know, I have a I have a granddaughter that's five months old, so. Uh, oh. Every picture I see, she's got something in her mouth, and uh, her mom's mad because she's saying dad danced to the mom, mom, but mama, <laughs> but that's a developmental milestone. So that's a normal. Uh, I think it's just what we always try to do, you know. Um, again, um, it's clear that the COVID virus uh, does clear up, you know, with the right kinds of cleaning, and so I think we just have to continue understanding it's a topic, you know, uh, every time you turn around, you try to prevent those things as much as you can. I just say to be uh, maybe a, another level higher on the OCD scale of trying to, you know, make sure you keep things clean and, you know, clean them off and that sort of stuff and do as best you can. Um, I notice when I go to the grocery store, they're cleaning where you touch things. And I think it's being cognizant of door handles and things that fall and things that they can get because, that's a developmental milestone is how they explore their world and, and as they learn things. And so I think you just have to maybe just be a little extra, um, a little, a little extra cautious and, uh, and observant and 
trying to trying to have an anticipatory say how can how can I prevent those things as best you can because it's a toddler stage. And, and maybe for the toys that the toddler has access to is just maybe a smaller amount and they're easily washable instead of, you know, intricate sort of designs that would be harder to clean and, and that sort of thing. Um, if, if there are parents listening right now who are afraid of this Kawasaki disease, and, and, and again, just to reiterate, it is very few cases. It is, um, you know, not, we don't know about exactly what's going on yet. Uh, and it is not something to really be that worried about. We're talking 10 cases in, in New York, right? That's... Well, there's, there's, there were eight in, eight, in, eight in the United Kingdom, uh, mm. 10 in Italy. Now, there was 10 initially in New York, but now they're looking at another 100. And now they have a consortium across the country. So let's say it'd be global, Canada, everywhere, where they're going to look at these kids, make sure they fulfill the criteria for the diagnosis because mm. you can get it confused. It's not Kawasaki's. It's not a sepsis. It's not shock related to other infections. It's not what they call cytokine storm. There's all these other variants of it. So, so they want to be very sure that it's related to COVID and it seems to have some different characteristics. Now, the problem with Kawasaki is that the coronary artery disease doesn't occur until later. So again, we have to watch these kids very carefully. That's why this consortium is going to be, be helpful. But it's, it's, a rare, it's a rare problem. You think about the number of cases that we've had, okay? It's a yeah. rare one. Most of the kids do fine with it, but it's a serious illness. And so I think just yeah. paying attention to the ideas about the fever and if they have the rash, the vomit, you're probably going to overdo it, but just get in touch with a pediatrician about that, and then they can evaluate and take a look at things. Most of them are going to resolve spontaneously, but the ones that don't, we look more carefully because we're going to confuse it with the virus. The next GI bug that comes along, they'll have fever, vomiting, diarrhea. Is it the multi-system? Probably not, but it's just the odds are that it's just, like I said, it's, it's really rare, but, you know, it's only been, you know, two weeks ago that they've started to study it here, so, That's you know, right. it's going to be important to watch out, but it, it's... Yeah. It's a, it's a bad complication, and we wish we hadn't seen it, but uh, so far, so good. Yeah, yeah, and, and really, uh, it's, it's about checking the temperature first. Yeah. Most of these cases have had high fevers for three or four days, but we tell parents, you know, if there's a fever for a day, you know, even within 24 hours, because... It's the COVID virus itself doesn't seem to cause fever that much in kids, at least not at first. Right, we, okay. Uh, are there any vitamin regimens or anything like that that you'd recommend to help kids have immunity against getting sick? Whether, whether, whether we're talking COVID, Kawasaki, or, or whatever. So there's no scientific proof, but as a parent, I always think it's better to give my kids a multivitamin. I don't think it harms anything. I can't show any studies that document, that, you know, that they that they that they prevent things. But I think most of us as parents feel better. And, and you know, our kids tend to be picky eaters anyway. I think it's just better to give them a multivitamin every day, Flintstone, whatever. I think it doesn't hurt anything for sure. A lot of people were buying vitamin C as a defense against COVID nineteen. Is there any? Is there any uh, evidence that that helps? Well, again, you know, it's a new virus, so who knows? I mean, that's the other who thing. Who knows? At least in the past, there, has, there isn't any strong evidence. There's people that believe it, but there isn't any scientific evidence that I can say proves it. I don't use it or give it to my kids. But. 
Okay. And what would you say to parents who are sharing custody with kids? Is it safe for them to go back and forth? Should you hold off for now? So the idea behind shared custody is sort of shared decision-making. And I think that's sort of what it comes down to. And I think the kids should be involved in it as well. Um, I think that obviously um, when we're trying to prevent exposure, uh, it's a real concern. But I think as parents work this out together, uh, and if it's a routine for the child that keeps them on the straight and narrow, I think that's obviously good for them. Um, I think parents should sit down and talk about uh, the safety issues and some of the things that we talked about reducing stress and, and see how the child responds. And then say, you know, I think he's more stressed. Maybe we should try this for that. I think it goes back to shared decision-making. It's got to be the part of this and what's best for the child. And hopefully yeah. both parents are paying attention to that and noticing if he is getting more stressed or not. Again, maybe he does better with the learning at one and the other. So, you know, I, I think I think I like that concept of the parents the parents put the child first. That's what it always comes down to making yeah. the it's got to be child first. Absolutely. It definitely does. And, and stress is a big issue. I mean, we know that stress is a killer and, and also stress will lower your immune system and make you more susceptible. So it's in your best interest to, to try to look at this in as optimistic of a way as possible, like you said. And it doesn't take away from the fact that, yes, people have lost their lives and it is a serious situation that we're in, but we're doing our part. And, um, and, and also, you know, when it comes to the stress that people are feeling, you know, it actually, usually we're stressed for things that are um, not life-threatening. Now we are stressed over something that's life-threatening and actually the anxiety and the stress that they're feeling really actually is appropriate because there is something out there that could kill us or hurt us or make us sick. So to kind of understand that too, I think is helpful. Like the anxiety you're feeling is actually normal and appropriate, right? Right. And I think that's another aspect. We've encouraged parents in that setting to say, honestly, I'm a little stressed. Do you think you could take a little bit longer or something like that? And I think as well as the concerns about who else is there, uh, what's the exposure of the person leaving the family? What's their job? Uh, are there older people in the family, grandparents, that kind of thing? So you have to think about all those things. But yeah, yeah but it's a, it's a tough one. I think one of the things, one of the biggest issues for us uh, in pediatrics is the issues that we have with uh, lower income and uh, racial issues because the stress levels are always so low to begin with. They may have difficulty with the, with the schooling themselves. And so I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing so many problems like that. So hopefully some of the, some of the situation will be able to address the, that, that, that issue because uh, everybody gets sick. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I hope so. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Dr. Lewis, for sharing your expertise and for, for being here. Um, I would love to have you on again to talk about ADHD because that is a really big subject in... in, in the... something too. This one, I'm, you know, as, as a pediatrician, I keep up with this stuff. Yeah. And I know your heart is with ADHD as well. Um, and so we'll talk about that too, if, uh, if, if, if I can have you back, because uh, I, think, I think parents would really love to hear what you have to say about that, because it's a big issue. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. 
And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.